Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vizzini. Today, Bryce Simon is in the building. We're back. It's post-Christmas. We're here. We're going to talk about some NBA basketball. We've got five topics scheduled today. First, we're going to talk about the Detroit Pistons, Bryce's beloved Detroit Pistons, losing 27 straight games, which is far too many games to have lost in a row if you're an NBA team. We're going to talk about what went wrong here, what happened, everything that is a total disaster, calamity, everything along those lines. Then we're going to talk about what's going on with Phoenix Suns. Kind of an interesting situation there right now because when all of their guys are realistically the Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Yusuf Nurkic trio are on the court, I actually really like what they've done. But the problem is when anybody else outside of Bradley Beal is on the court. So I want to kind of talk about everything that's happening there. We're going to talk about Dallas and Luka Doncic after that because of the obvious Christmas Day game. Easy point to talk about after he just absolutely dominated the Phoenix Suns on Christmas in an incredibly fun way. Fourth, we're going to talk about John Morant being back. The Grizzlies are 4-0 since John Morant has returned to the lineup, and I kind of want to talk through why I think that is occurring uh, what he brings specifically to the Grizzlies that make them drastically better when he is on the court, even beyond his skill level. Finally, we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks lose on Christmas Day, and it sets off a bedwetting panic about the <laughs> direction of the Milwaukee Bucks, and they are 22-8. and eight. I want to talk about why people seem not to believe in this team. Bryce, that's a minute, 42 seconds, introducing the show. What's going on, buddy? Man, all I want to know is how your vacation was. That's all I care about. Like, oh, how was your vacation? Yeah. How was Christmas? I wonder, Sam, how much different your Christmas break was compared to mine so far. Because <laughs> we've had three Christmases. My kids think well, there's three Christmases. Too. I, that's what yeah. I'm saying, though. Like, how much different is this? Both of my co-hosts are, do not have kids. You hear Omari Sanko for the second over on the Pistons podcast. And so like, I live in a different world than these guys I talk hoops with every day. And it just, I'm like, man, I wonder how calm it is to have a Christmas without kids where, oh man, it's crazy. Extremely calm, uh, relaxed. I didn't get out of bed until like nine, nine thirty. My wife and I opened gifts at like 10 30 and you know, we went over to Laura's parents' house. It was great. Like it was, it was not anything crazy. I had a great time. It was super fun, right? That feels like the kind of Christmas that I want to have. Uh, I want to be relaxed. I will say though, like most of the time it's not quite another day, but like, it's just super chill on Christmas, right? This year, it was a little bit different because we got back from Bali like at night on the 22nd. So it was like kind of a mad rush to figure everything out, plan. And on top of that, while Laura and I were gone, <laughs> apparently a water pipe like oh, no. under our yard 
had kind of started leaking. So literally the day after we got back was all about like scrambling and finding somebody, uh, shout out our guy, Liam to come through and fix this water pipe in our yard. It was a total mess and calamity. And we were so, so lucky that we knew somebody that was able to come in and fix it. Um, but yeah, that, that was that like completely killed a day for us. And then we did all of our shopping on Christmas Eve as one does. <laughs> um, you like my heart dropped right there. Cause every time we go out of town, Sam, that's one of the things I'm terrified of is what if the heater goes out and then everything freezes yeah. or just a water, you know, whatever this. So today is the 27th. So Friday would be the 27th. Like we haven't spent a day at home, Sam, for almost a week. This is our first day, all of us at home, because we've either gone to my parents' house, we stayed at Randy's family for three days. This is our first day back, not opening presents, not doing anything like we're just chilling. And then, of course, our kids are going bananas, bouncing off the walls, because for the last week, they've had cousins to play with and presents to open and all of this stuff. So now it's like, no, 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 like now it's time to chill and relax. So we took them to the gym, shot some hoops, and now they're all napping while I'm doing this. (laughs) yeah it's funny laura and i were talking about that yesterday we were like man today is like our first day where we've had relative calm where we haven't had to like go shopping all day and then deal with like the water pipe situation and then we had christmas and then the next day after christmas was like a little bit wild too so like it, it was just you know even for me somebody who doesn't have kids it does feel like there are a lot of moving parts but God, I can only imagine like having kids. Like we talked to my brother who has two kids and he and his wife, like it was just like, it seemed like a madhouse. to me. It is. I'll tell you this. It takes my mind off of the team. I have to watch every single game and a 27 game losing streak of the Detroit Pistons. It, it, it takes my mind off of that just a little bit, which is good and healthy and productive because things are not good. So a good segue there from Bryce. So where I'm at now, I did not watch basketball for a week from the 15th through the 22nd. It's now the 28th here. I have watched, I think, 22 NBA teams now uh, since I've been back, watched games like they played either in the break or since the break occurred or since um, uh, the 23rd onward. I have watched, I think, like eight or nine college games as well. So I'm catching up on the draft and everything. And the team that I've fucking watched the most of, again, remains this Pistons disaster. I was texting with Jason Tim for earlier, and he was like, yeah, I meant to ask you about that. Like, are you a Pistons fan? Like, because Jason and I are like friends, but like he like was curious. He was like, why do you keep watching this team? And I was like, I can't avoid the oncoming car crash. That's the thing. Like with this Pistons team, I know I'm going to be disappointed, but I'm also like a hopeful person in general. And when I watch them, I'm I'm hoping to watch the win that breaks the cycle. Like I want to watch the streak end. And yet it never happens because they're bad and because they don't have a real number of like NBA caliber rotation players. That's the biggest place here for me. You watch the game last night that set the record right against the Brooklyn Nets. The starters were great in that game. Like they were totally fine. They started Cade and Jaden Ivy, uh, Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran, and then Boyan Bogdanovich. 
we can talk rotationally about why that's a problem here momentarily, but those five players are all NBA quality rotation players. Say whatever Pistons fans want to say about Isaiah Stewart. He's an NBA quality rotation player at the very least. Uh, and he is a guy that I think could provide real value as like a third big man, right? For a good team. 100%. It's what happens after that. Like the bench units are a total nightmare and it's been th- that way for a long time, right? And it brings to me this idea of when we talked about the Pistons, when you joined the show in the summer, we talked about them being a team that expected to win. This is not a team that went into the year thinking this is the hinky Sixers. We're going to lose all these games and get another high draft pick. A, they're in that guy in this 2024 NBA draft. That guy does not exist. B, man, I, I just... If, if you wanted to win, you did not go out this summer and go get guys that can help you win. Uh, Monte Morris hasn't played yet. I think Monte would help in some way. Monte Morris isn't doing this. And Monte Morris, frankly, was not incredible last year. He was like back to being like a good backup point guard, not a uh, borderline starter quality point guard, which is what he'd shown previously throughout his career uh, in Denver at times. Joe Harris isn't good enough uh, at this point, unfortunately. Like it just seems like his athleticism has gotten to a level that isn't workable. They're playing like Kevin Knox, who they cut and then brought back because they have to. Isaiah Livers can't play in an NBA rotation at this point, realistically. And James Wiseman straight up like can't play. We just need to be transparent about it. Like I took notes on the Atlanta game from what was that? Uh, like the 19th or 20th, something like that. And my notes are literally like, I have no idea what James Wiseman is doing out there. Like he can't play. He's way too high in ball screens. His positioning is terrible in ball screens. Uh, he helps off of guys and like gives up offensive rebounds all the time. Um, got broken down off the bounce by DeAndre Hunter. Like, all due respect to DeAndre Hunter, not the most explosive dude in the world, right? Uh, a good defender and a good shooter who's started to knock down shots at a higher clip this year. Uh, I actually wrote down on my notes, I thought it was the worst player I've seen, or a worst game I've seen a player play all season was James Wiseman against the Hawks last week. And, uh, and what's crazy, Sam, not that by any means is Marvin Bagley like, a great backup like I think Marvin Bagley has actually played decently this year and for some reason they continue to alternate which one of those guys gets minutes again I'm not saying Marvin Bagley is the best big man or you know even this like I think Marvin Bagley is probably your fifth big if Marvin Bagley is your fifth big or your third center you feel pretty good about it but yeah. he's definitely been better than James Wiseman at least he gets buckets and they won't do there, there's so many guys playing above the role that they're capable of playing. I see in the comments, you know, Isaiah Stewart, it, you said it perfectly. Like we just need to settle. I, Isaiah Stewart is a third big, maybe a fourth, but like, Isaiah Stewart is an NBA player. He's not a starting power forward though. He, he just has, he's definitely developed. not a starting four. Yeah. yeah, no, he just hasn't developed that the way I don't even think what they tried well, to do is wrong. Here, here's, here's the difference. The four man in today's NBA has to have real genuine ball skills. And he doesn't have it. You have to be able to break down guys off the bounce, at least attack a closeout consistently. Uh, You have to be able to knock down shots. I think Isaiah has improved as a shooter undeniably, but it's, 
he's still not a good enough shooter to the point where he's going to get guarded out there in the way that modern four men get guarded on the perimeter. So as much as I like Isaiah Stewart and think he can be like a good five man who comes off the bench. And then if you have somebody like maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. or somebody like that who can really space the court, uh, I think you could pair those two together and can dribble and can do some things off the bounce. Like you could pair those two and it might work like in a real way, but you can't use him as the four next to Jalen Duran, James yep. Wiseman, Marvin Bagley, who can't do anything uh, along those lines off the bounce at an NBA caliber level. And a lot of times he's playing the four with all of the centers are non-shooters. And a lot of times he's playing with a wing who is also a non-shooter because of Sar Thompson. He's played plenty of minutes with him. And then you outline Joe Harris isn't making shots. Isaiah Livers has been awful. You know, I thought the guard rotation was actually going to be decent, Sam. But I thought Monte Morris and Alec Burks were going to be the backup guards for this team. I thought that was going to be a strength. Caden yeah. and Ivy start. And then you have Burks. And Monte Morris, and then Sasser and Killian Hayes are your fifth and sixth guards. Well, Monte hasn't played, and Alec Burks is just it, it, the talent is not there. Thirty three percent from so, the field and from three. So here's what I'll say about Burks. Burks started the season really, really well. He did, and then he got hurt. I think that Burks is still getting back from the injury a little bit. If you look back through Burks's past two years, he's been quite good. And he started this season well before the injury. I think he will bounce back. The problem is now he's an expiring deal. And like, if you're the Pistons, you're fucking two and 27. You should be trying to move him yep. to get something of value back. And you just can't like, what, what's he going to bring back? Like a second round, second pick round pick now, yeah. a mid second round pick if lucky. So you're fucked there. You're in a position now as well where and this is the biggest thing that you and i talked about coming into the season and i talked about this with james edwards as well the thing that we had to learn was whether or not Cade cunningham is the dude i think we've learned that Cade is like a guy like I'm, i i agree I, some, i'm totally some don't. i just want to put it out there i get a dm a day telling me that Cade isn't the guy just i just want to throw that out there which i don't agree with but i get a dm or a message a day people telling me Cade's not that good yeah so Cade cunningham since boyan bogdanovich has been back he's been back 11 games now right 11, uh, yep. that that 11 game cycle to me is like the sample that's actually worth evaluating because prior to those 11 games the Pistons were playing in a phone booth stuck in like 1995 with hand checking and everything like that because nobody could space the floor. Uh, they played him next to Killian Hayes, next to Jalen Duran when Duran was healthy, Asar Thompson, guys that teams genuinely did not. They weren't care even about starting Jay Nivey. They weren't even playing him with Jay Nivey. Correct. Did not care about guarding him at all. In those 11 games since Boyan has been back. Cade Cunningham is averaging 23.7 points, 4.9 rebounds, 7 assists on 50-31-85 shooting. Also, the big number here is that he's at 2.9 turnovers per game over that time as well. And that's the number that people were melting down about. Yes. If you give him space, if you give him like actual driving lanes, he's going to be able to make significant high-level decisions. And that's the thing that always stands out about Cade. Even last night, he tried to will this team back into existence against the Nets. He did not want that history. And oh, by the way, 
after the game when they lost, you look at Omari Sankofa, you look at James Edwards, all the beat writers. Cade was the one that came out and was like, I want to be the face of this. I want to be the guy that says that this is on me and I want to be the leader that fixes it. That's the dude you build around. That's the guy that you want to have in your organization moving forward. There, there should be no doubts. Like we can doubt whether or not Cade Cunningham is like a number one on a title team, sure. whatever. That's fine. Like I, I'm totally for that. And I think yep. that's reasonable. Um, we can wonder whether or not he's like best suited to be a number two. He's going to be a max guy. Like I, I am completely comfortable giving him a max deal this summer. Uh, as long as this continues moving forward. And that's the big answer. The second big answer that the Pistons needed, and this is what you and I talked about. Does this core actually fit what Cade Cunningham does well? And by the core, I mean the young guys, the guys that they have real long-term attachments to. Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, and Isaiah Stewart, frankly, I think was in that core as well. And we have to consider him within that core. My contention has been no, that he does not fall within that core or does not does not fit uh, within everything. The Pistons have built a group of players around Cade that don't accentuate his best skills. Jaden Ivey, I think, is interesting and might end up being somebody that can be that. I love his downhill ability playing off the ball. I love uh, the way that he's improved in terms of his patience. I love his improvement as a shooter. I don't know that he's like the ideal guy to put next to Cade, though. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, I think is just a guy like he's a good backup big and like a, you know, maybe a sometime starter, right? That's fine. I'm glad that Brian K brings this up. I don't like Cade and Ivy defensively next to each other. Uh, no, you can't like, it's a real problem to play them next to each other defensively. Truly uh, for as good as Cade has been offensively. I thought the defense has been quite poor. If really I'm being bad. completely honest, uh, it has been, uh, yeah, we, we just need to be real about that. Yes. I, I think you do want somebody who can defend next to him. And I think Ivy has not been very good defensively either at this point. So that's a piece of it. So you draft Asar Thompson, hopefully to fix that. But to make it work with Cade, you need to surround him with shooting. You need to surround him with floor spacing guys that can be these three and D players, right? Asar Thompson can't shoot. And I've never been a real believer in the shot. I know some people were like, oh, yeah, he's the more likely bet to shoot of a men Thompson and Asar Thompson. It's like, yeah, but I don't think either of them are going to shoot. So what does it really matter? Um, I, I don't get that. I don't buy that at all. I, I like Asar a lot. But if you notice, he's been kind of moving down the rotation a little bit. I got a lot of flack from Pistons fans for ranking him fifth in the rookie rankings. I did at the end of November because he was averaging like 14, 10 and three assists or whatever. The problem is that when you watch what he's doing on the court, he's tanking their offense every time he plays. Uh, and then finally, I'm still like a bit skeptical on Jalen Duran is like a defensive big next to Cade and Jaden Ivy. I don't think that the, this core works together as well as what Troy Weaver hopes it will. I think they need to make like a young core shakeup trade. In addition to making a trade, let's start there before I move to my next piece. Where are you at on that? On just the core four, I I like these guys individually, as you kind of outlined. Yes. You know, and K to be clear, so do I. 
Like Cade is really good. I'm, I actually really like Jaden Ivey. The shooting, like it depends. Like it's got to come around. His finishing at the rim really had grown early in the season. It's regressed a little bit. And while he's still not good defensively, I do think he's made strides. Like somebody that's watched every second of his play in the NBA, he's at least giving more effort here in his second season. And effort doesn't always get it done, Sam. I'm not saying he's there by any means. I do think he's made strides. I really like the way Jay Nivey pressures the rim. Like his first step, his downhill is really, really impressive. Asar, all the defensive stuff. Jalen Duran, at the very least, is a walking double-double. He's got to figure out some other things to... But yeah, I had a tweet recently about the lottery selections from Troy Weaver and their collective three-point percentages. And at the time, like none of them were shooting over 30%. Because even Cade hasn't shot it well from three. It's been a little bit up and down. And so... I wonder if the move isn't to trade one or two of these guys for a younger but somewhat established type player because you're about to have another top five pick to add to the mix anyway. Like, are are you going to be able to develop five of these? You have to win some games next year, Sam. Like, this is bad right now, and it, it, it may get worse for a little while. You have to come back and show some growth next year. So you can't run out five lottery picks from the last four drafts next season. You got to add some veterans. I don't know if there's enough minutes well, there to have five. Here's, of them. here's the thing, Bryce. The league is too good now. Like you used to be able to do these like interesting young core builds, right? The Thunder, I think, did so in an intriguing way, right? They went out, they got Shea Gilgis Alexander. But the thing about Shea is that they got their guy. Their guy was a little bit older than the rest of their rebuilding core. So it allowed them to build around Shea and then also rebuild at the same time with guys like Chet, with guys like, you know, Josh Giddy, obviously Jalen Williams, et cetera, et cetera. And also they got like a million draft picks and everything like that. But Getting the older guy first was critical to their rebuild. The Pistons don't have that. You cannot be. The league is way too good now. There is way too much depth of talent to just go, we're going to run out five 22-year-olds. It doesn't work. Would you go, let's just say he's on the table and they somehow can put it together. Like Lowry Markinen is the guy that makes a lot of sense to me because of his age. He's only on the books for 19 next year. So you don't even not, have to get, I, I don't think they're moving him. So like it, I, okay. I understand why you're asking. I just, so just do not it, think they're moving. him. Do you think they should make him move for a guy in that realm? It doesn't even have to be Lowry. Cause again, I don't even think they have the, the assets to do it. Like that's another piece of the puzzle is I think this team can build it out. I think they can build it out, Sam. And whether that's Troy Weaver or not, I don't know, but the margin for error is so slim because okay. of the assets they don't have. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that is actually where I wanted to go next. If you're the Pistons, you can't let Troy Weaver do this, right? Tr- truly, like, look, I know you like talk about the team more often than like, and you, it's it's harder for you to say that than it is for no, me no, to say can, that. But let me say real quick, I I, tr- I have two things that maybe get Troy Weaver off the hook. One has been dispelled by the owner on our last episode, Sam. I said, uh, not yours and I's, but on the the Pistons podcast, I said. I wondered if the if the front office was on the same page. I felt like maybe the front office was on, on the same page. Maybe Troy Weaver hadn't been allowed to do what he wanted to do. Tom Gores had a meeting with all or an interview with all the beat writers, essentially said, this is on me and Troy Weaver. Multiple times said, this is on me and Troy Weaver. 
I don't always believe what people say in public, but I can't continue to say what I said. The only argument Troy Weaver has is if he walks in with a plan that says, last year was the first year I tried to put a competitive team on the floor, or this year, last summer, and it didn't work. Here's my plan. Here's what I've learned, Sam. I learned this is where I messed up. Can you trust him to learn from all of these mistakes he's made? That's a lot of of, of faith and trust. This is a Jersey Jerry level catastrophe right now. Like you can't, I think, do do this. I, so here, here's my thing. Troy Weaver has shown at no point in his years of building this team that he can do this. The one guy re- that we know is a difference maker got gifted to him at number one overall. And oh, by the way, that process... If you remember that process, it took a minute for him to come around on Cade. Like there were real conversations about Jalen Green. It, there were real conversations about Evan Mobley. Like all due respect to those guys, I'm still taking Cade. I, I feel quite good about that, especially Jalen Green. I mean, we'll talk about the Rockets at some point, but like that's a whole other can of worms. What else has he done? No, that's that, that's worked. Like truly, and no, I mean no, you're, that. You're, like no, you're you're right. He did. Would, would you take Jalen Duran over Mark Williams right now? I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I don't know it's, the answer either. It, here's what probably because I still think Duran has more upside. I just don't know that Duran's going to hit the upside I saw, like or thought I saw. So, yeah, like they may end up being very similar players in terms of them just being walking double doubles. Again, I, no, he he. It would have to be almost blind faith at this point that. Here's what I'll say. He's only tried to build a competent team one time. Every other year, I truly don't think they were trying to win. It was building. He, he he broke it down. But even as he broke it down, he didn't acquire draft capital. Like that's what. And people were saying this to no, me no. along the way. And he, he, he lost out draft capital. I know. I know. And that's what's. And then he took one of those guys and traded him for James Wiseman. There's a lot of things that were small moves that at the time I dismissed as, well, it doesn't. This doesn't wreck the rebuild. Well, I don't agree with this, but it doesn't wreck the rebuild. Well, that's a weird contract, but they still have enough flexibility. And then it's all come to a head. And in the year they were supposed to be competitive, he completely whiffed on the offseason. They completely well, whiffed. And what you're describing is a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. Yes. Decision maker, right? Yes. It, he has not made like one catastrophic decision. Agreed. Like, for as, and I said this at the time last year, for as nonsensical and stupid as the Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman thing was. Uh, and that was a thing that I did not understand at the time. You can go back. I think I, I went back and checked like Mark Schindler and I talked about this and I was like, this does not make sense at all when he did it for as nonsensical and stupid as that is moving Sadiq Bay is not going to like tank your organization. Yes. Right. Uh, Sadiq Bay is a really good player. I, I don't mean to you know disrespect what he's done in Atlanta so far and what he did in Detroit, but Sadiq is like a, fifth starter, sixth man, seventh man, something like that. Sadiq Bay would look really fucking good right now in Detroit. And oh, by the way, this is what worries me about the logic behind the Sadiq Bay move. The idea behind trading Sadiq Bay before you have to pay him is we're getting off of this decision before we have to make it, right? Because if you don't trust Sadiq Bay to be a great player who is worth 18 to $20 million a year, Okay, I get that. I think that's reasonable. 
the problem with that is that then you go out and you acquire James Wiseman, who has the same amount of time before you have to make that decision. He's more expensive currently, and he's a worse basketball player. I mean, I would rather have the picks. Uh, Robo Jim says it in the chat. Like, yes, I I look back on that. Just give me the four second round picks or whatever was moved in that deal. And so how you described it is perfect. I try to be supportive. I try to be positive. And so exactly how you broke down the Sadiq was this isn't franchise changing. This isn't franchise altering. There was so many of those, but they all have ended up pretty much being wrong. And that's again why I just don't, know where the faith could or should come from. Hey, we have this very small margin of air to build this out because we still do have Cade Cunningham. And whether you think the young core fits together or not, I would assume there is some real value to Jay Nivey, Asar Thompson, Jalen Duran around the league where like you could make this five seconds. Awesome. Um, so like that's where my my little sliver of hope, Sam, is Cade Cunningham's really good. There's cap space and there, there there's there's moves that can happen. It could happen, but you got to nail it. And if they don't nail it, you're right into mediocrity for 10 years or you're trading Cade and starting it all over 2 years from now. Yeah, and here's here's my problem. I, I can't let Troy Weaver be the one making it's, that. Call. It's fair. It's fair. I can't. Like but they need to do something now. Like you actually have to go out and do something sooner rather than later because you can't let this slide. Truly, like so. Here, here's my question, Sam. Would you, would you, you would cut, you would t- cut ties with Weaver now? Yes. Here's a here's a, what a lot of people's worry are. Who then makes the decision because you need to do something at the deadline? Who decides the Boyan trade, the Burks trade, what you do? With, like, because maybe the best move to move on from a couple young guys and bring in a young player to play with Cade is available at the deadline. It isn't this offseason. Can you go find someone to hire and run the team and someone else that you actually trust? Or do you just have to punt on all of it? I think that you are selling at the deadline, right? I think it's easier to make selling moves than it is to make these like crazy, you know, core moves. I wouldn't sure. make any of the core moves no core. right now. Wait till the offseason for that. I would be trying to go out and like, okay, I'm going to get X, Y, and Z guys. I saw Shams today said like in free agency, they're going to look at Tobias Harris, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Miles Bridges. Like, I mean, I get the Miles Bridges thing. Like he's from there, but don't do that for obvious yep. reasons. Yep. Um, Ananobi would be great, but Ananobi is going to be the most popular guy on the market this year. Why would he go to Detroit? Uh, Pascal Siakam, like Siakam is going to be one of the most popular guys on the market. If he doesn't get traded and extend somewhere or if he doesn't extend with Toronto, like the the problem you're running into is why Detroit now, right? Tobias Harris is interesting. Like Tobias has been there before, likes the city like that. That's intriguing, but like, I'm not spending a crazy amount of money on Tobias at this point. So your move would be, but like move on from Weaver, let somebody else in the front office make the decisions on trading Boyan and Burks. And, you know, like Harris probably is just going to expire. Monte, I don't know what you can do with him. Hopefully ride this out something. Because that's what's scary is like a lot of people want something to happen now so you can end the streak and, you know, get something done moving forward and not just win two games the whole season. 
but I, I don't know how you do that either. Like it, it's a weird situation to be in. My, my thing, it's already historically bad. Like th- this season is gone. It's over. It's punted. Yeah. But to me, like, so the, the Monty Williams for as bad as Monty Williams has been this year. And we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. The all bench units have been a fucking calamity. Like he seems to not understand staggering starters. There are way too many minutes where neither Cade nor Boyan are out on the court. It's crazy to me. Having said that, the best kind of model of this here to me still is the Phoenix Suns back when, you know, Devin Booker and those guys were younger. Their run started in the bubble when they had that really great run and then they got really, really going at a high level. Right. And that was a weird deal right where they got like an off season to improve basically before the season ended uh in the bubble right but i still think that like you need to have a level of competence you need to show like baseline level right but how do they do of- that but are you going to get that type of guys in return if you move like that's why i think they're in a pickle because if you move boyan burks let's assume monte morris comes back healthy yeah those are the only guys that can really help you do that but you then you're just going to lose them in the offseason. I, I just think they're in a weird situation with those guys because those are the guys that could yeah. conceivably help you do it. Yeah, I, I'm actually not sure if I would move Boyan. Yeah, just let it ride. To be honest, because like, he still has a year left. Like, and that deal is going to be valuable to whoever decides they want him in the offseason. They'll still get a first rounder for him in the offseason. I think. I think they should have moved him. You sure. know, coming into the season and not tried to win but that's a whole other conversation again. Um, It just would look different to me. I think if they had come in and not tried to win. Yeah. Right. Like, like someone brought up like Gary Trent jr. Right. Like the idea of Gary Trent jr. Is better than the real thing, especially defensively. Yeah. Agree. Uh, But Gary Trent jr. Would be really good for this team. He'd be valuable. He'd be helpful. That's not a disaster move. One interesting idea is like, could they flip like boy on for Tobias Harris or something like that? Like just a, you know, a bigger presence, I guess, like on the defensive end of the court, but he's not a great defender, obviously. And Boyan's not a great defender. Um, Like, could you do something like do some sort of deal around Tobias Harris and Boyan where Boyan's a better player than Tobias right now, I do think, but you could get a veteran in maybe a guy that might stay with you long-term and Tobias who also can knock down shots, but maybe you get some additional pick capital in the mix with Tobias. Like something like that is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. And then you get an actual four man where they don't have one of those at all. I mean, the biggest miscalculation of this, like, there is no wing forwards on this team that are can play both. Boyan has been good offensively, but he's also 34 years old. And defensively, yeah. it's just really bad. Asar can only play defense. And on top of it, he's a rookie that they were trying to start for a team that was trying to win. Isaiah Livers has been an absolute disaster. And as you pointed out, they've had to turn to Kevin Knox, who they brought back you know, 10 games into the season or whatever it is. That, that was the biggest miscalculation was not bringing in some three fours, four threes, whatever you want to call it. They're just so weak at that. I can almost excuse the guard position because of the Burks regression and Monty Morris being injured. 
But the wing forward thing to me was the biggest by far miscalculation of the offseason. 100% agree. 100% agree. Uh, let's move off the Pistons. I think we've talked about them. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> quite a bit at this point. They need to do something, though, I think. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we will be back. We're going to talk about the Suns next, who, you know, uh, certainly a better team, but the sky seems to be falling there. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Bryce, let's move to the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns lose to the Dallas Mavericks on Christmas Day, and it sets off a round of concern and criticism regarding Kevin Durant, regarding this team build, regarding everything uh, that the Phoenix Suns have building right now as they try and compete for a title. Because right now, the team is a losing record. They're 14 and 15 as we head through one third of the season. I'm I, I'm somewhere between like optimistic and concerned. 
I think the problem is that they just have no margin for error. And I'll talk about that throughout this conversation, but they've been fine when Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and Yusuf Nurkic have been on the court. Like I'm not that worried. You don't think they need Bradley Beal though? Like, okay, here's my, they do, but that's my thing. Like they're going to get him back. And to me, like that's going to change. Part of it is the West is so deep and is so strong right now that like they actually need to win games in order to have like a real shot to make a run at it. But like, in terms of like, you just need to find a run of like quality, consistent play. I, I'm, I, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic on the Suns, maybe than some are, but we'll talk about that, I guess, throughout this. Yeah. So I guess my thing with them is they are what third 29 games into the season. And at some point, these guys have to play together if they're going to have any playoff success. Like, I just feel like that. You can't throw these guys together. And the other thing, it's not just those guys, Sam, their core guys. I feel like every time I watch the Suns play, it's a different rotation of the role role players. You know, it was a Koji early in the year. And then yeah, they're still searching for sure. They're still searching. Yeah. And that's not even Vogel's fault. Like maybe he's just trying to find it, but you have to find it at a certain point. You can't just go, okay, last 20 games of the season. Now we put Bill in and now we're doing all of these things. I just worry that they're never going to get any sort of cohesion and chemistry to really put it all together against some of those teams in the West who look really cohesive. The Nuggets, the Thunder, even the Timberwolves have had, you know, are going to have a year and a half of playing together by the end of this season. The Kings are essentially the same group. I know some of these teams will make trades at the deadline, but probably nothing substantial. I just don't love their chances of going in and beating those teams, even if their talent is maybe better at the top end when you haven't played together and figured these things out. And so that's probably my biggest worry. I also want to quickly shout out all the people who sent me DMs, people in the comments that did the six player ranking that we did you know, almost 10 days ago, shout out to all of you. I really, I I didn't want them. They sent them to me. I responded to everybody, but wanted to shout them out as well. I appreciate you guys. I always love the engagement from everybody that listens. Thank you to Bryce for doing that because I was by a pool in Bali and uh, was reading books and having a nice time and did not want to, did not want to engage with Twitter. I think I went like five days without tweeting. It was for you. Nice. Yeah. It was fantastic. Okay. So, Yes, everything you just said is right. The minutes on Christmas that happened, let's let's start with Christmas. Like okay. I that was Drew Eubanks in the lineup. Drew Eubanks has been like a total mess this season. Like a real real significant mess to me this season. And it's weird because last year I thought there were moments where like he outplayed Yusuf Nurkic from time to time. Like he was really effective defensively and aggressive and athletic and long, like he's not long, but like he's uh, a good rim runner. He has value in terms of just being like mobile and athletic. Hasn't really happened that way for the Suns this year. When Yusuf Nurkic is off the court, this team is like a total mess. Nurkic has been quite valuable for them and i say that as somebody that like was immensely skeptical of the deandre ayton for use of nurkic piece of that deal but he missed christmas day it's now come out because he had a death in his family i think his uncle passed away so he traveled back to bosnia and with use of nurkic on the court the suns are a plus 5.7 uh over 100 possessions 
with him on the court. They're a minus 7.7 with him off the court. And to me, that's not like Yusuf Nurkic has been absolutely incredible. It's he's been good. He's been like a starting quality center. There are issues like he can't really finish around the basket. A lot of like floater stuff, a lot of uh, more difficult shots than you would hope for. But he moves the ball really well. He's fine positionally on defense, knows where he needs to be. He's enormous. There's value to having Yusuf Nurkic on the court. When he leaves the court, it's Drew Eubanks who's been like unplayable for minutes this year, and I don't really know what happened there. Uh, I think that these backup bigs are so scheme and situation based. Like you look at Jock Lawndale, who left Phoenix last year after outplaying DeAndre Ayton in the playoffs, and he's been a total catastrophe for the Rockets so far, right? To me, like that's not an indictment of Lawndale. It's probably not an indictment of Eubanks. It's that these guys are backup centers in the right scheme and situation as opposed to uh, just universal backup centers. Like somebody like Isaiah Hartenstein, I think is a universal backup center where you could put him in any scheme, any yeah. rotation, he'd be really valuable. Um, then they bring in on Christmas day, Chemezi Metu, he has like 19 rebounds, but the clip that everybody has going around is like, you know, Devin Booker yelling at him, like you're just going to turn the ball over and not get back on defense kind of stuff. And, that has occurred. Metu did it a couple of threes. He, I've always liked Chemezi. I always thought he was kind of better than Drew Eubanks. So I'll be interested to see if he starts to steal some of those minutes a little bit more. But they just don't have a real backup center who can eat any minutes if Nurkic misses. Nurkic is like, I, I honestly think that given that, I think Nurkic is a more important player to them on their current roster construction than Beal is. And that might sound crazy on its face but it's more just the replacement value of who they have in the mix right now as opposed to like Beal being like poor or something like that uh Grayson Allen's been fine this year it's you know he's averaging 13 points and shooting 45 percent from three he's doing exactly what you would hope from him uh, I agree with you like Eric Gordon I think didn't look great uh, when he was playing uh, and continues to play, like he just looks like he's continued to lose a bit of a step here and there. Uh, th- the thing that like struck me was, and this could just be like a Nurkic thing, right? I've watched the Suns probably eight times this year, not you know twenty five or thirty games, whatever they've played. But when I when I watched them on Christmas, they were doing this goofy ass like delayed double situation where they would deal with a Luca ball screen, Eubanks would switch out onto Luca and then they'd have the delay double coming from the man who switched onto the big, like, you know, Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, someone like that. After the tagging uh, man on the weak side corner handled the roller and Luca just like fucking eviscerated them. And it was just like, what are you, what, what is this defensive scheme and concept? I, I don't know. It's not something that I'm familiar with in terms of, you know, working well. So I don't think they have anybody that can like guard somebody like Luca one-on-one right now is a real issue. Uh, and the depth is a real issue when Eubanks, Nurkic or not Eubanks. I'm sorry. When Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Yusuf Nurkic are on the court, the Suns have a 125.1 offensive rating and a 114.7 defensive rating. They are a great team when those three guys are on the court. It's just what happens when those guys leave the court and right now they don't have answers for when those guys leave the court 
So what I guess my thing is, what is the answer? Like, yeah. what is the play? Do they can they cobble together these contracts and go get some of the guys we talked about on our trade deadline primer? You know, somebody yeah. to come in and because to me, I, I'm gonna go back to the same thing. You gotta lock in your eight or nine guys. Like, and maybe that's just a comfort thing for me. I well, like in your eight or nine guys, I think is a critical point because again, as we talked about with the Pistons section, the league is too deep now. I yes. don't think you can run out like you know, a big three of all max guys and then all minimum guys and make it work anymore because there are too many good players across the NBA now. And I think as you play with lineups, to your point, you lose games because you're trying, you can't just afford to, you're not going to go win a game just because KD is awesome. Well, every other team, mostly that you play is going to have an awesome player as well. And you're not going to be able to get away with KD will carry us tonight while we figure out, is it Nasir Little or Josh Okoji or whoever? Can we go small or can we go big? All those different things they're trying to figure out. And you just can't afford to do that. Like At some point, they just have to say, these are our dudes and we're going to rock with it. And hopefully the chemistry builds or they need to go make the trade and say, these are our dudes and we're going to rock with it. And, and hopefully Bradley, just for the sake of them and the NBA and all that, like I'd like to see, obviously, as I assume everybody else does, everybody healthy and playing. I want to see how this works. I'll be honest, Sam. I was wrong about the Clippers. I was wrong about what James Harden was going to go and what they were going to become and all of that. I want to see what this is. I want to know if it can yeah. work with those three guys. So, and again, to me, it's four because I think Nurkic is fine. Sure. Sorry, my like, bad. Nurkic yeah, is yeah. useful here. Um to me, the biggest thing that Beal does is he knocks everybody back one yes. slot. Yes. Like, A, you have Bradley Beal dealing with like the third best defender on a team, which is something he's never dealt with in his career. That will be really helpful. Beal needs to get healthy as well. Like, that's a critical thing here. He's played six games. He's only averaging 15 points per game. Um, but in those games, he shot it well from three. Like, he's been pretty useful uh, when he's been on the court. So, I would really like to see Bradley Beal play, but more than anything, it has to be a Bradley Beal that is healthy and capable because currently they're two and four when Beal has played because the defense has been uh, suspect. Let's go with. So if Bradley Beal is healthy, what he does is I think that it then pushes Grayson Allen back to like a more normal, manageable role where he's not playing 35 minutes a night. Uh, It pushes Eric Gordon back to playing, you know, maybe 18 minutes a night. It pushes... Uh, it pushes everybody down a peg in the rotation. And I think that actually provides real depth or a better chance at depth maybe for them. To me, the bigger thing that they need is like size. Like they they need to go, they need to get bigger in some way. I I will say along with pushing down the role, and I wanted to make this point with Cade and his defense, because if you add some more offensive firepower around Cade, he has a little less offensive energy he has to expel. That would allow KD and Devin Booker to be better defensively as well. So you you bring in Bradley Bill, he can do some ball handling, he can do some scoring, he can take up some, like just eat up minutes in even just the regular season. And then the wear and tear on those guys' bodies, maybe KD has a little bit more energy. He's not going to guard, you know, the other team's best player for the first three quarters, but maybe in the fourth quarter, he has enough energy and knows he has Bill along with Booker to get some buckets. He can take on those defensive matchups and be a little bit more of the two-way player Without Bill there, him and Booker just having to, you know, even with Nurkic being good, Sam, even with Grayson Allen shooting 45% from three, those two have just had to be unreal on the offensive end and just carry the entire load. Yeah. And 
the other thing that Beal does, hopefully, is, you know, right now they're playing like 40 minutes a night of Jordan Goodwin and Josh Kogi, right? And and I like both of those guys in some respect, right? Like, I actually really have, I've been a big Jordan Goodwin fan for like the I, last I, I've year. I've enjoyed him, yeah. And we've talked a lot about it on the show, you know, back when Adam was here and now with Bryce. I think Goodwin's been like pretty useful for them from time to time, but like I don't think you can have both Jordan Goodwin and Josh Kogi agreed in the rotation. Uh, it, it causes too many problems. If I was them, I'd be looking to try and go out and get like a backup big. Honestly, I wonder if you could go out and find Jock Londale again. Like the Rockets have a real thing happening here where Londale is basically out of the rotation. I wonder if you could like cobble together the contracts. Like if you're not going to play Nasir Little all that much, like could the Rockets just see Nasir Little as a guy? But like Nasir Little, I think has been useful for them. So I'm not even like totally advocating that necessarily either. Uh, I wonder if you could kind of cobble together the contracts where it's like, okay, Josh Kogi makes $3 million a year. Eric Gordon makes $3 million a year, something like that. Maybe we can do something like a Kogi, Eric Gordon, and a couple of seconds for Lawndale or something. But then again, like those guys have, those guys aren't on expiring deals, if I remember correctly, either. So that's also a problem. Um, let me see. Gordon is, yeah, he's got what, a player option. I mean, they all have player options. Yeah. And look, like Eric Gordon back in Houston might not work well for Eric Gordon. Uh, listen, I'm going to say this every time it comes up. I'm calling Orlando and I'm calling Indiana if I need a center in my rotation. Yeah, like take a shot on like if Isaiah Jackson I, is somebody I like, that they're not. I like him every time I watch him. I like him every time I watch them play. And then we've talked about Orlando with, you know, Batazzi, Wagner and uh, um, Wendell Carter Jr. Yeah, and Goga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I said, yeah, 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 I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point next week, I'm probably going to debut my uh, Goga Wendell Carter take. I tried to coax it out of you on Twitter the other day, and you just you left me unread, like you didn't even yeah. respond to it. Again, I wasn't looking at Twitter, man. Uh, you feel a little better. Not happening. Um, yeah, uh, the, the Goga has been really good this year. Really, yep. really good. Um, look, that's really all I have on Phoenix. Like, I, I'm not quite as like bedwetting as some people are. I think they need to find like a real backup center. And I think they need to honestly, if you could go out and like find like a Tory Craig type, like somebody like that, I think that would be helpful. Just like another big wing that can defend guys. I think that would help them in some way, but I'm not like sky is falling with the suns at this point by any stretch of the imagination. I think that getting Beal back will be helpful. I think that again, getting Nurkic back, like everybody's melting down. I think in part because of the Christmas game, Nurkic did not play in the Christmas game. And that was a real like differentiator, I think, for Phoenix. I'm not melting down, but I want to see it sooner rather than later. Because I think chemistry yep. and continuity will be important for them. Okay, next up. I want to talk about Dallas, the team that they played. Uh, and particularly, I want to talk about Luka Doncic. Early on in the season, I was like a little bit skeptical of the Luka Doncic MVP run that was starting to go, but wasn't quite bouncing yet. Luca right now is averaging 33.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 9.4 assists. He's shooting 49% from the field, 39% from three, 79% from the line. Uh, and he just dominates everything 
that they do. Uh, and this Dallas team is back to being uh, a really strong team, right? They're 18 and 12. They're fifth in the West. The defense is still a real question, but every time I watch Dallas, I'm just like, holy shit, this guy is the like dude uh, every single time. To me, like, I don't know if he's the MVP. Luke Byrne in the comments says Luca is the MVP. I'd have him in the top four right now. Uh, I, I would still have Joel at number one. And we'll talk about this maybe later on, but uh, like down a couple weeks down the road. But uh, I would have Joel at one, Jokic two, and then I think it's between Luca and Shea for three. And I don't know which one I would pick. That's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask you, Luca versus Shea. Here's what I love: every time I watch the Mavs, I feel like all of these other dudes are playing some of their best basketball yeah. as well. Derek Jones, I feel like, is playing really good basketball. We've talked about Derek Lively a ton on this podcast and yes it's a great fit with Luca but if Luca wasn't the ball screen maestro and lob passer that he is it wouldn't be as impactful Dante Exum all of a sudden is like playing really well I thought Josh Green was playing really really well so it's not just Luca out there getting buckets and getting his and yeah. all of those things he's making these other guys around him better I pulled up some catch and shoot numbers I'm not going to go through all of them I just thought it was like the amount of unguarded catch and shoot three-point attempts and I I know Kyrie creates some of these as well, but they've had over 500 unguarded catch and shoot three point attempts. And you got to imagine not very many of those are Luca, right? Like that's not really his game. The Celtics have only created 400 only in 28 games. The Bucks 356. The Kings a little bit more, but Luca's just creating so much for himself, yeah. but also makes the game so easy for everybody around him. He's just it, it's awesome. He's so good. And I, he's one of those guys I truly enjoy watching him play. He just plays at a pace that's amazing. And it's just so hard to get impatient when you're guarding him because he's so patient and he's so strong. And you just can't, yeah. you, you can't say solid, solid, excuse me, for long enough. And here's the thing, Sam, the three point attempts have gone up by two this season from last season over one mm -hmm. from his highest. And the three-point percentage is ridiculous as well at 39%. Like, that's just incredible. He's finishing 83% between zero and three feet, according to basketball reference. When you can finish at the rim, get to the free throw line, and shoot threes like that, along with everything else he does, it's incredible. He's amazing. Yeah, so, someone asked, why would you have Shea as better than Luka? I mean, Shea scores damn near just as much as Luka does, and the defense is just drastically drastically better like Shea has become like a real difference maker on defense uh whereas Luca is a negative but like has gotten better on that end I think it's not been nearly as like catastrophic as it's been previously again I, I don't know which one I would pick like I, I think that they're pretty close right now and I would need to like really sit down and like parse through all of it I know the advanced numbers like freaking love Shay. uh I don't know that I would think he's quite as highly rated as the advanced analytics do but regardless i think that we're talking about a top four guy here with luca at this point and i'm glad that you brought up everybody else because the guy that pops for me every time i watch them is Derek lively uh Derek lively has been such a critical piece for them as a critical defensive interior presence as a great rim runner for luca uh it is a real real factor here every time i watch them just seeing him run the baseline in the dunker spot, being able to be like that pick and roll uh, gravitational force where you, because he runs as hard as he does and he's as big as as long as he is, 
you really have to tag on him. And that tag opens up that cross corner kick out for Luca every single time. It feels like when he's on the court, it's really, really hard to deal with Luca whenever you have guys around him that are able to create that rim pressure that opens up passing angles for him across the court. Derek Lively, even more than like what the numbers say, right? Like I think he's averaging like nine points and eight rebounds or something. More than what the numbers say, I think he has been unbelievable this season. To me, like very clearly the fourth best rookie in the league, despite or behind like Chet Vick and Jaime Hawkes, who's just doing ridiculous things in Miami right now. Yeah, and I mean, he's in a perfect scenario where he's his skill set is fitting perfectly with the team's best player. So we talked about this earlier, right? Like we talked about fitting pieces together and he comes in and the Mavs went and got exactly what Luca needed. And to Derek Lively's credit, I don't say that to take anything away from him, but to his credit, he's seizing the opportunity. He's thriving in his role. And that's so important to just thrive in your role, accept it and be elite at it. And he has done that. And yeah, you can see a difference, you know, watching games, where he hasn't played and Dwight Powell, and this is no slight at Dwight Powell, he doesn't offer the same rim gravity that Derek Lively does. Like you can just no. tell that it takes away an option. And whenever that big has to know, like you only give up so many lobs in the pick and roll, Sam, especially to a rookie. But if you say like, nope, I'm going to drop a little quicker or I'm going to get back a little faster, that opens up a driving lane. Or as you pointed out, now the the low man, the weak side, it just adds so much to the defense in terms of how they have to rotate out and tag and all of those things. It's it's really well constructed. I really like this team. I'm really interested to see where it goes in the playoffs because as I said, you know, how many ever episodes ago now, I really believe that if you have the best player or a guy that can take over a series, then you yeah. have a chance. And with Luca, you would have a chance every single series along the way. Luca is the type of player that could be the best player in the series for four in a row. You know, and so I'm not saying he will be. I'm not saying he's better than Jokic, but there's a chance that in a series for how many ever games that would take, he could outplay everybody else in that series. And you have the right guys around him. It will be really interesting to see. Yeah, three things before we finish on Dallas. Uh, Tomas in the comments brings up Lively is especially good on slip screens. That's definitely true. To me, that's the factor that he gives. They used to love Dwight Powell because Powell was like a great screener who made contact on screens. Lively slips and just goes. And because he's fast and covers ground as quickly as he does, he is forcing that help. And it's opening up angles all over the court. I totally agree with that. Number two. Derek Jones Jr. has been one of the most fun stories to me. In the I love so him. Far. He's amazing. Uh, the fact that he is a like they picked him up, I think, in it was either August or September. Uh, I think it might have been September, to be honest. Ten points per game has started 28 games for them this season, playing 25 minutes a night. Great, obviously, is like a nuclear level athlete. Always has been that. Uh Rim running on the baseline, being able to do that. You can run him in some like interesting slip actions, obviously, as well. But more than that, the shooting, like he's obviously being left open for the most part because teams, the book on him for so long has been that he can't shoot. Well, he's making teams pay. He's shooting 37% from three on four attempts per game right now. If he makes teams pay, like that is a real real player that gets paid this summer in the offseason. Like I'm really, really excited for Derek Jones. The guy I'm more excited though for is Dante Axel. 
Yeah. Uh, basically, since Kyrie has been out here, Exum has been absolutely unconscious, it's felt like to me. Over the course of Exum's last 10 games, he's averaging 17 points, four rebounds, four assists, 1.8 turnovers, shooting 67% from the field, 58% from three. Uh, and by the way, he is a really, really valuable, like energetic defensive player uh, who is able to guard different guys across the backcourt because of his size and length. Dante Exum is like a starting quality NBA player at this point. And I said in the offseason, I thought this was like the best value signing of the offseason, because if you watched him at Partizan, it was like, no, this is a real guy. If you watched him in the Olympics or the uh, World Cup, I'm sorry, it was a real guy. You could tell. It's translating. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. At the very least, he is their third guard that can come off the bench, and he can play with both Kyrie when Doncic sits, or he can play with Luka when Kyrie is out. It's an enormous, enormous benefit to them. I think he has been unbelievable this season uh you can do so so many different things with him and because he can shoot now and because he's six foot five you can play him with luca and Kyrie, and it's not going to be a problem like across the board he is a perfect perfect fit for them i love the fact that they have him on this team and i love for dante that he's getting to find the success after he struggled with injuries so 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 much throughout the early portion of his career yeah, again, I think this is a team that's a really good example of you have guys kind of slotted into roles that they are prepared for, they're ready for, they're willing to accept, and then every single one of them is just thriving and excelling. And then to their credit, even with Kyrie out, people have been able to step up a notch, and that, that doesn't always happen, and then they, they've been able to do that. So, yes, great for Exum. Derek Jones Jr. is a player that I love watching every time I watch the Mavs. So excited for him. And so th- this is a team I'm really intrigued by. And, and again, somebody brought it up, like very heliocentric. Yes. So, you know, maybe they get bounced in the first round because, you know, because of that. But Luka's really good. And they got a lot of guys that seem to feel comfortable letting Luka run the show, but being well, ready to capitalize. And they don't have to be heliocentric in the playoffs if Kyrie is there, is yeah. the thing which I think was the idea behind acquiring Kyrie at the deadline last year. We'll see if it works out. Well, Kyrie's going to have to be healthy for that to be real, right? Yep. Like that has sure. to be the biggest thing for him, but we will find out the answer to that. Do you want to talk about the bucks or the Grizzlies next? Let's talk about the bucks. Cause I feel like you're very uh, animated about this one. I just don't understand. So like, look, hand up right early in the season. I had as many questions about the Bucks as everybody else did, right? And I still have questions. Adrian Griffin, I think, is a significant downgrade as a coach. I've seen nothing so far that like makes me believe otherwise there. I have questions about the defense. I, I have questions about finding ways to not be reliant on 50 minutes of Malik Beasley and Pat Connaughton every night. Uh, look, there, there are questions all over the place with the Bucks. I get it. Here's the thing. The Giannis Lillard combination. I don't know if people have like picked up how good it's been over the course of like the last month or so. They have it now. Like they don't have it like totally yet to where they're going to have it in the playoffs, 
but they are drastically improving every single time that you see them. Their synergy and ball screens, their timing in terms of Lillard hitting him with pocket passes, just when he gets downhill, their timing in terms of Giannis finding like short roll potential opportunities, their timing of using Lopez as the screener and pick and pop guy and then letting Giannis run baseline. They're figuring this out in a real substantial way uh, on the offensive end of the court to where they are like truly like terrifying when you watch them play on offense. The, the margin for error for them on offense is absolutely enormous. And oh, by the way, the other piece of this is that Chris Middleton has been really good for the last month or so. Like, again, you and I talked about Chris Middleton is like one of the biggest swing guys yep. in the title race. Like if he is good and he's healthy again, and he's able to play 25 minutes a night. They're going to be fine, right? They're going to be totally good and things will get figured out. Well, you go back to November 28th. Chris Middleton is averaging 16 points per game in 29 minutes per night, shooting 49, 41, 81 with six rebounds and four assists per game, right? And those numbers are increasing as the season goes on. You go through his last eight games, it's 31 minutes a night, 50, 40, 93 on 18, six and five, right? So Middleton is coming along in a real substantial way, which allows them to have real bench units because they can just have Middleton run the bench unit. And it's great. When you have a core of Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, Giannis and Brooke Lopez, your margin for error is enormous. Like they they have so, so much margin for error that they can try and figure this out on the fly and just try and make it work. Okay. So here's my question. I, I, yeah. I, I think people are way overthinking the Milwaukee bucks right now. Okay. Fair. Uh, what is success for the Milwaukee bucks? What is the only um, success? It's winning a title. Okay. No, 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 no. Well, it, success for the Bucks to me is like the conference finals. They want to win the title, but like if they end up in the conference finals and they lose to Boston, like nobody's going to be like, oh, they fucked up. Okay. You know what I mean? Fine. How many, what other teams are in that category? The Celtics and the Nuggets? Is that essentially it? Like those are the three teams where it's like, because even the Thunder, it's like, okay, this is the first time. Timberwolves, yeah, first time. I, I think Phoenix is in that category. Because I think the of Clippers, who they honestly, have. are in that category. I think the Lakers are in that category. Like, I think there are more teams in that category. Honestly, like if Joel Embiid does not get past the second round of the playoffs again, there will be an enormous amount of conversation about that. I think the Sixers are absolutely in that category. Like, it, there are more teams, I think, in that category than what people think, I guess, okay, is my point. that's fine. Don't we critique every single one of them, though, based on that being success? Like, the Boston Celtics are a team that we've come on multiple episodes, Sam, and as good as they are, what do we say every single time? Well, they need a little bit more depth. They could really go use another piece. What happens if this... And that was an overreaction episode, so we yeah, you know, play I mean, into the bid a little bit. I've listened to other podcasts. They shoot too many threes. The half-court offense isn't going to be there at the end of games. The Nuggets, we've talked about depth. You know, like all of these different things. I guess my point is, do we not believe in the Bucks, or are we just holding them to the standard and talking about them in the context that quite honestly, is a compliment. Like, we're not talking about this team is great. We're talking about them winning an NBA championship. And the question is perimeter defense, 
and depth. And I think those are fair questions to have in terms of them winning an NBA championship. But I think that they get held to a different standard, I guess, than Boston because everybody right now is just like Boston is clearly the best team in the East. It feels like to me, don't you you like when I would agree because I would say that, like, I feel like I, I I will say, I will admit, I feel more warm and cozy about the Boston Celtics than the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, You've brought up a lot of points that I'm like, okay, Giannis and Dame are figuring it out. I like that. I, think that Giannis and Lopez could anchor a defense throughout the playoffs that covers for the weak perimeter defense. Like, I think I truly believe that those guys could be so elite protecting the paint that they could do that. Mm -hmm. I worry way more about their overall depth than the Celtics. I love Bobby Portis though. I, 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 every time I watch him, I'm like, gosh, dang, every one of my notes says Bobby Portis is such an integral part of this team. I wonder about Malik Beasley. The shooting's been great. Does that carry into the playoffs? But maybe to your point, I'm nitpicking them in a way that I'm not the Boston Celtics. And maybe that's your point, And maybe that's fair. Do you know what the Bucs are ranked defensively over the course of the last 15 games? So like half of the season at this point? I, I know they're up the, to nine, the most I know recent. I know they're up the to 19th. So which means they have to be in the top. They're probably 10 to 12 in the time frame yeah. you're saying. No, that's exactly right. They're 11th in defense over the course of that time. Like they've, I'm not saying that they have like full scale answers and I agree with people. They need to go find somebody, right? Like go find like an older veteran wing. I'm with it. And if you maybe pick like one team to come out of the East, I would pick Boston in all likelihood. But my point is that I think that we talk about Milwaukee, like they're not in Boston's tier and they are in Boston's tier. I would pick them over Philadelphia right now. Uh, I I agree with that. Comfortably. Uh, And I might be wrong about that. Like Philly has been wrecking worlds. All three of these teams over the course of their last 10 games are eight and two. And, you know, Philly particularly has been, I think like a top three offense and the best defense in the league over that time. Like they've been absolutely incredible. And I I don't want to, you know, poo poo Philly or whatever, but Milwaukee gets more shit for a 22 and 18 than I can remember. And look, there are concerns. I get it. They have played a weak schedule so far. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that that is an unfair criticism. Their schedule is going to get harder. They have games where they have to play tough teams or they have to play, you know, bad teams like Portland. I remember we talked about that game a few weeks ago. They had to have a massive comeback to beat the Portland Trailblazers. And that's not a great sign, right? Uh, They won by nine against the Rockets. They played a couple of tight games against the Rockets. They beat the Magic by four, right? And the Magic are not a bad team, but they're a team that undeniably, I think that the Bucs hope to be able to handle, right? Uh, Here's the thing. They've won at Miami. They've won at New York. Like they, they have won a couple of good games here. They've beaten Philadelphia in the opener. I think that like, you know, they played that super tight game near the end of November against Boston as well, where it seemed like they were on the level with Boston and that was in Boston. I think that these two teams are basically going to be dead even by the end of it. And Oh, by the way, I think Milwaukee is ascending right now because they made a big core shakeup trade 
in the offseason and Chris Middleton started slowly. And I think that Middleton starting slowly and them trying to figure some things out synergistically between Lillard and Giannis led people to, including myself early in the season, led to people overreacting a little bit on just where they're at right now. They're good. They're really good, I think. And I think that's fair. And I think, you know, Dame got off to the slow start and then figuring that out. And and sometimes it takes a little while for things to correct itself. I, I would agree yeah. with you that they would be in the top tier of teams. Like I haven't hashed it out where I would tier break and those type of things. It will be interesting. Like that one seed is going to be really important or seems to be in the East because theoretically you want to stay away from the other yes. of Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. Now the caveat yep. to that is, I'm just like starting to buy the heat because we should just always buy the heat and Jaime has been awesome. And they, you know, they're getting a little bit more healthy. And also we've seen Jalen Brunson really give, you know, Milwaukee specifically some fit. So there's going to be some matchup dependent, but in general, you're going to want to be the one seed. So you don't have to play Philly in the semifinals and you get somebody else. I would still go Boston in general, like if you told me to rank teams, but I'm very comfortable with them being in the same tier. I wonder if this is a case of like, we've seen Giannis for this long. We've seen Middleton for this long, but to your point, that almost doesn't hold up because you've added Dame to the mix. And it seems like Dame is widely liked by the NBA fan base, you know, NBA, you know, fans at large. And so I think I'm surprised we don't see more excitement around it, but it, it seems like people are a little bit tired of the Giannis Middleton. I don't know. So the top three teams over the course of the last 10 games in the NBA, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the top four teams over the course of the top last 15 games in the NBA are the Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics, Oklahoma City Thunder get thrown in there in the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are 12 and three over that time. Uh, they are tied with Boston for the best record over that time. Uh, those rankings were via net rating as well in terms of how much they are beating teams by per possession. I think this team is really quite good and is coming along at the right time. We'll see what happens when their schedule heats up. You know, it's obviously going to get more difficult. They're in the middle of a longer road trip right now. But again, like it's Brooklyn, Cleveland, Indiana, Indiana, San Antonio, Houston, Utah, up until game 37. And then after that is, uh, it it eventually will heat up. I I know that it heats up, I think, like toward the back third, if I remember correctly, of their season. And I want to reiterate, Chris Middleton being healthy and being... Chris Middleton is vital for this team. Like that, that stands. Yeah. We've, we've seen it. We've seen his minutes uptick. If he isn't able to do that, continue it through the whole season and into the playoffs, that changes this conversation drastically. 100%. Uh, last topic here the Memphis Grizzlies. When we did overreactions, one of our questions was the Memphis Grizzlies are cooked. I think you and I like both kind of agreed that they're basically like cooked in terms of making the play in, but and we were both wrong. It looks like I think we're both wrong. <laughs> like I think we're both wrong, man. They're four and zero with John Morant back. He's so good. He's so good. 
he is so good. Uh, he's unbelievable. He's an incredible. Can I tell a funny incredible. story real quick? And obviously, yeah. I, I will not name my student, but I have a student that's a huge Ja Morant fan. And obviously, we live in the middle of nowhere. So Oklahoma City's the second closest NBA team to us uh, outside of Denver. He went to the Oklahoma City Memphis game, but it was actually Jaw's 25th game of the 25th suspension and didn't get to see him play and i tried to tell the kid i was like i think you're counting wrong like he's not gonna play he went all the way to watch that game and jaw so this isn't a funny story it's actually kind of sad i felt bad for him but he miscalculated the the games on the suspension and missed jaw coming back by one game so maybe he'll get to catch him late yeah i know i was like i kind of gave him a hard time the next i was like you went all the way you made your parents drive you all the way to oklahoma city Your, your guy didn't even play i tried to tell you and he missed it but um yeah, I felt bad for him, but Jaw's incredible, man. Like the explosiveness. I don't think he gets enough credit, Sam, for like the nuance in which he yeah. plays, the pace of play, those type of things. He he He's more than just like the wow plays overwhelm the highlights and Twitter and everything. He does so much more than that, including distributing the ball, passing the ball, all of those things. He's been a joy to watch, um, you know, back from that suspension. Hopefully everything off the court, you know, is, is on the straight and narrow and he's, he's figured and grown and all of that. Obviously, he's been awesome. I would imagine Desmond Bain is just ecstatic to have John Morant back and, you know, because that makes his life a whole lot easier as well, um, even though he was playing really, really well himself. So, yeah, I think that – I think what John Morant does is there there are a couple of factors here that totally change everything for Memphis. This is a team that really struggles when he is out of the lineup to get any sort of like rim pressure, right? As much as we love Desmond Bain. Yep. Desmond Bain is like not the most explosive dude in the world. He's reliant on changing pace. He's reliant on his elite level shooting ability, being able to create that way what bringing Ja back does is it increases the amount of rim pressure that Memphis is getting almost like exponentially. It feels <laughs> like when I watch them. And I think we often like underrate the idea of rim pressure, right? Sure. You look at the best teams in the league, like Joel Embiid, like is a rim pressure guy uh, because he draws fouls. Giannis Antetokounmpo, same thing in elite level rim pressure guy. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, literally the best driver in the NBA, elite level rim pressure. All of this across the board, these guys that are great in the NBA, they put pressure on the rim. And I think that, like, when we talk about, for instance, like this kind of jogged with me with the Bucks, like Damian Lillard and Giannis, like, create elite level rim pressure. And I think that people are like over indexing that as compared to their perimeter defense, right? Uh, Rim pressure is more important than perimeter defense. It just is. If you can beat somebody off the bounce and get the past them, you're going to be good because you're going to be able to kick out. You're going to be able to make plays. You're going to be able to do anything you need to do on the court. Yeah. With Ja, I'm glad you brought up the nuance because it's the patience. It's the passing. It's the uh, just handle. Like seriously, like John Moran's one of the best ball handlers in the world. And on top of it, you throw in that he's one of the most creative basketball minds on planet Earth in terms of the way that he sees the court, in terms of the way that he plays the angles. It just completely changes everything for them. The other thing that I think it changes is 
Desmond Bain is one of the best floor spacers in the NBA, one of the best shooters in the NBA, has a chance to go down, in my opinion, as one of the best shooters in NBA history by the time his career is over. If you look at the numbers for where it's at right now, like that is in the realm of possibility for Desmond Bain at this point. When Desmond Bain has to be on the ball and has to actually like do a lot of shit, it removes what makes him great because by putting him on the ball, you're putting somebody else in that floor spacer role. And it's condensing the court for Memphis. Every time that you do that, now you put John on the ball. Desmond Bain had way less space to operate within than what John Moran is. John Moran's, you know, better than Desmond Bain. Like he's a great player, but because Ja is playing with Desmond, Ja has more space to be able to get those paint touches than what Desmond Bain had by Desmond Bain being on the ball and playing next to guys like David Roddy, uh, John Concher, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right. When the other, the third thing here, and I swear I'm going to let you talk here in a second. The, the third thing that really stands out to me with Bain is, and I'm trying to find it. I like literally looked up the numbers while I was watching, um, Having Ja back allows them to shift Desmond Bain to be able to be the lead creator in the bench unit as well at times. And the thing is that when Desmond Bain was off the court for Memphis, when Ja was out, it was a catastrophe. With Bain off the court, Memphis was averaging 103 points per 100 possessions in those 25 games before Ja Morant got back. That is like dead last in the league. 1990s level numbers right now you can stagger Ja and Bain a little bit more you don't have to play as many of those disaster level lineups you can really get going and really get moving I think uh it elevates not just the minutes John Moran is on the court it elevates the minutes that he's off the court as well through his sheer presence I think it's going to be really interesting to see the lineups they choose to go with, what they do with both Williams. Where does David Roddy fit in? Marcus Smart is now back. Where does he fit in? What do they do with the bigs in terms of, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously is best as the four, but, you know, with Steven Adams out, you have to play him some at the five to get these other guys on the floor. I think Bismack Biombo has performed admirably, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. Do you go make a trade? Like, they're another team I'm interested. Do you call Orlando or Indiana or somebody like that to try to fill this? You know, do you want a temporary fix? You know, all of those type of things. I also want to give these numbers quickly on Bain since we went there. In the the difference between the four games he played with Morant and then the 24, obviously sample size here, Sam, I get it. He's actually taken more field goal attempts since Morant came back. Three more field goal attempts this game. Almost four more three-point attempts per game and almost mm-hmm. one free throw attempt per game, which just means he's back in what his natural role is. And that, that's no slight at Desmond Bain at yeah. all. He is great. You outlined it perfectly. He is great in that role. But Morant comes back, field goal attempts actually go up. And, you know, the percentages are roughly the same. But now he's even averaging more points per game, playing off the ball, almost four more points per game, playing incredible. And so I think it just speaks to how well those guys play off of each other. He's even averaging more assists per game since Morant came back. So I think those guys play off of each other really well. And then it's how do you build out around them? Because they're a little bit smaller 
and so do you want the length of Williams and Williams or can you play smart with those two and get away with it because smart plays bigger than what he is I think that's what's interesting to me now like I, I don't question anything about that backcourt it's how do you round it out around them yeah no I think that that's I think that's all right and true like I calling calling Orlando's interesting if you could get Wendell Carter I think Wendell Carter is the fit next to Jaron Jackson that'd actually be like a really fun pairing and duo if you could figure that out and then you have like a what it'd be like Ja Smart Bain Jackson JJJ. and Carter yeah like mix that'd actually be pretty sick last guy I do want to call out is Vince Williams Jr. here yeah. uh Vince Williams has been really fun over the course of the last little while here uh averaging you know five and a half points a game if you just look at the box score but since he's kind of entered the starting lineup and has been uh you know more in the mix i guess let's call it uh he has been really really impactful as a, an energetic defender maybe is the way to put it yeah, I'd i think agree. he does get the like he's long he's not like overly quick a lot of the time but he is a capable valuable player and he's knocked down shots he's hitting 38 percent from three like he is this is a team that has been begging for a wing to step into a role like this. One of David Roddy, who I'm not really a fan of one of Jake LaRavia, who can't seem to stay healthy. One of Zaire Williams, who his body just like, hasn't quite filled out in the way that I think people would hope. And the shot just hasn't kind of turned out. There's just a lot of, a lot of potential there, I think. And it's the guy on the two way contract that his, been able to earn the minutes and become the guy that they need they have some interesting options in terms of what they want to do in terms do they consolidate some of those guys you just talked about a lot of those guys are still very young and so do you consolidate them for a guy that maybe you believe in a little bit more or is more ready or does one of those guys get the opportunity and really seize it take advantage of it and and fills the role they need and that role gets a lot easier now as we've talked about with jaw back, even with Marcus Smart back, where you're not having to play as many minutes, the, the pressure is not quite as wide to be a floor spacer because Bain's facing the floor in that role that you need. So I, I think we'll see somebody emerge. I still have, like, I still Jake, think Jake LaRavia is going to get there. Like, I just, I believe in him. I think he's a good shooter. I know the numbers haven't always shown it in his time in the, the league, but I think he's going to be confident with it. I think he'll figure it out. He's intriguing to me in his second year here, but I like what Vince Williams is, has done as well. And so I'm just, it'll be interesting how it all shakes out. I think they're a very intriguing team and I don't know, maybe we're overreacting now to the first four games, but it looks like we were probably right. They're going to get in that play in mix. They're going to put some pressure on some teams. And then that might not be a team you really want to play in the play in tournament. And then, Hey, number one seed, Minnesota, here are the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant first round, you know, I'll kind of have fun with that. That'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Uh, I don't think I've got anything else here, Bryce. I think you have to go record a Pistons Pulse podcast. And I do. I think that I've got to go watch some college tape and some NBA tape today. So, Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so on Twitter, at Motor City Hoops. Don't follow my personal account. Some of you do that. Like, I almost never tweet from there. So if you actually want the content I'm putting out, follow Motor City Hoops. And then, yeah, if you're a Pistons fan, I'm literally about to hop off here find another stream yard and we're going to go live with the Pistons Pulse doing a mailbag talking uh, a lot of the stuff we talked in the first 30 minutes of this episode. Sam, I miss this. 
I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you got some time away and enjoyed it and relaxed. But I love doing this. And so I'm so glad you're back and we were able to record. We'll do this again in a couple of days. Yep. We have five more topics that we want to talk about across yes. the NBA. Um, man, how do people manage like multiple social accounts? Like, I don't get it. It's hard. Yeah, I, I can't do it. Like, I forget I even have the other one, but people will follow yeah. me over there or DM me. And I'm like, no, no, please DM me in the Motor City Hoops because I almost never check my personal account. So, yeah, that's smart. Uh, okay. Go to the athletic, keep me employed over there. Uh, we will be back in a couple of days. Bryce is going to come on. We've kind of talked through like what a plan is going to be there. I know we're going to talk about the calves. Uh, I know we're going to talk about what, what else via our text message here. We're going to talk about uh, probably the Knicks because yes, the they're in an interesting spot. I want to talk about Kobe White. Yes. Um, and I want to talk about the Kings. I know that uh, we might, we might adjust based on other sure. things uh but yep. yeah we're going to talk about a few things next week uh, i kind of want to talk about the lakers or uh th- in the coming days here i kind of want to talk about the lakers at some point too Works for me. Have some interesting stuff going on yep uh okay keep it locked here we'll be back soon until next time we'll talk soon